Good morning, Hill City. We're so glad that you joined us again. Whether you are in a group in a watch party and gather together with some other people that you can worship and pray and share with, or if you're on your own, maybe watching on a phone. Wherever it is, we're glad that you are here online with us. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are, that you would check in with some other people. If those are the people around you, or maybe by putting a comment in the Facebook chat box right now. But we just want to know where you're at. How are you doing? And how can we as a church come around you and support you and pray for you at this time? So take a moment and do that, whether it's in your groups or in that Facebook chat. What a year it has been so far, right? Uh, I was thinking this week about uh, if they made a movie about 2020, what it would be like. I mean, there was that whole thing going around about 2012 and the Mayan calendar, and uh, they actually made a movie based on it that I never watched, so you'll have to tell me how it was. But it was like all those other end-of-the-world movies, right? So would the movie about 2020 be like that? Or um, would it maybe be some sort of endurance movie about how people made it through, sort of like the ones you see about living through World War II? Uh, maybe it'd be a comedic movie, like an upgraded version of Daddy Daycare, where the parents are all running around trying to figure out how to homeschool their kids. Or maybe it would be like one of those indie films about somebody's existential crisis as they figure out who they are when they don't have to go into the office. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities there and that's not even the whole year, right? We're only halfway through. And I know that sounds really lighthearted. Obviously, it has been difficult for all of us as a global community, as a nation, as a church community, and as individuals to deal with everything that has gone on this year. I was trying to make a list and I had to stop because so much has happened. And again, that's not to make light of it, though I am getting a bit of comfort out of all the Jumanji memes going around. And I don't know if you've seen those too. It's good to laugh at your pain, I guess. Uh, but I just want to encourage you that it's actually been like this at many times throughout history. 2020 is emblematic of all of those times throughout history where there has been a major shift. Something has happened, or in our case, many somethings have happened to change how we live, um, to create a new normal. Though, like many of you, I'm sure, I am kind of sick of hearing that phrase. And these things, whether it's the pandemic or acts of systemic racism that have come to light or just arguing with family members online who you suddenly hate for just having an opinion, uh, perhaps for the first time, it seems like all these things are knocking on your door because you might have seen them happen globally or in another town or in another place but now they are happening here, right now, and they are affecting your life. But since its founding, the church has dealt with many things like this, and it's been challenged by unforeseen events, by plagues even, responding both well and poorly, depending on the situation. And you don't have to look any further than the New Testament to see that this is true. So in our new study, as we've ended the book of James, we're going to dive into the book of Acts. 
This book, as we know, is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And so in Acts, we jump right into the middle of the action uh, with Jesus rising into heaven, commissioning the disciples, the Holy Spirit coming upon Christians, and 3,000 coming to Christ. And that's just the first two chapters. So it's very action-packed. But lest you think that it's all sunshine and roses for the early church, all you have to do is look a little closer. We have church conflict driven by deep-seated ethnocentrism as the Jewish believers wonder, can those people, those Gentiles, really become followers of Jesus? And we have powerful works of God for sure, but do you remember the couple that dropped down dead in the middle of church for lying about their giving? We have the famous conversion of Paul of Tarsus. And that is a dramatic story that everyone loves happening on the road to Damascus. But that happens after the horror and the suffering and all of the persecution that he inflicted on so many believers as he literally drove people out of their homes and out of Jerusalem before deciding to take the whole act on the road. And while we're on the subject of Paul, we might glorify his missionary trips and talk about how great they are and how we want to be like him, but we don't often talk about the practicality of those trips and everything that happened to him. You only have to read 2 Corinthians 11, where he writes of his ministry in harder labor, in more imprisonments, in worse beatings, in frequent danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. In my frequent journeys I had been in danger from rivers and from bandits, in danger from my countrymen and from the Gentiles, in danger in the city and in the country, in danger on the sea and among false brothers, in labor and toil and often without sleep, in hunger and thirst and often without food, in cold and exposure. And tell us how you really feel, Paul. Of course, all of this is why it has always been so ironic to me to hear people say, and I've definitely been guilty of saying this as well, oh, if only we could go back to how things were in the early church in the book of Acts. I mean, I do get the sentiment but what part exactly are you thinking of? Being driven out of town, chased by mobs, uh, your salvation question because of your ethnicity, or how about the part where you're put in prison and stoned to death? Yeah, I know we mostly just mean when we say that, that we wanna be a part of that history, of those big acts of God that we perceive happening on the pages. Who wouldn't? But there is an underlying assumption in those statements that is false and that we have to address. You see, God did not retire after the book of Acts, after those events were finished. The church as the body of Christ did not disappear off the face of the planet after Paul went to Rome. Acts is just the beginning because whether you have personally seen it or not, the spirit is still moving. God is still acting, Jesus is still coming, and the church is still expanding. The true church is still the body of Christ against which 
the gates of hell will not prevail. Yes, even in 2020. In the book of Acts, we literally see how the church acts for good or ill when faced with pressures of their own birth. Though there is so much to learn from this book and we could easily spend over a year studying it, what we want to do in this series is go through a couple different episodes in the book that really exemplify the values of Hill City and the values of the church at large. Because of this, we might be jumping around a bit in the book, and so we want to take this week to talk about the background information, the structure of the book, and all those other details that are so important to understanding it so that we can all learn as much as possible in the weeks to come. And I would just encourage you, if you don't have a daily discipline of reading scripture, to go through the book of Acts while we're in this study. You can read just a couple chapters a week and be through it by the time we're done. So dive on in. It's really easy to read, like I said, very fast-paced, and we'll be covering some important events in it. So let's talk about Acts. Like I mentioned, Acts, sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Spirit, the Acts of the Church, was written by Luke as a sequel to Luke. And Luke was called the Beloved Physician. He was a companion to Paul. And we sometimes miss that he wrote Luke and Acts as a two-part structure because of the way our New Testament is arranged. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John interrupts before Acts. But in fact, those two books should be read together. Acts is unique in its historical coverage of the early church and the Acts of the Apostles. Unlike the four Gospels that cover the life and ministry of Jesus, we only have one book that talks about the establishment of the early church and the furtherance of the Gospel through the whole world. It covers the time period of about 30 to 60 AD. During this time, the Roman Empire was a vast territory stretching from the newly established British colony all the way to modern-day Turkey. Most people lived in densely packed cities that contained all sorts of people from different cultures, ethnicities, and believing different religions. The Greco-Roman culture was polytheistic, and each person had a group of gods that they were loyal to and that they worshipped. Of course, in the perceived backwater province of Palestine and elsewhere in the empire, there were also Jews who, unlike the rest of the cultures around them, strangely only worshipped one god. They actually had a special edict from the emperor to make this possible because all citizens of the Roman Empire were expected to pay tribute to Caesar as lord, something the Jews refused to do was in the midst of this that a new movement was born. A completely normal, you could say nobody, Jewish guy from the backwaters of Galilee came along and started teaching about the kingdom of God, working miracles and most controversially forgiving sins. When he was arrested by the irate authorities and sentenced to death, the world at large outside that small area did not make much note of it. 
just another ill-fated Jewish man leading some sort of rebellion and dying for it. Yet, three days later, this man's followers, a strange group of men and women from all sorts of backgrounds, started proclaiming that their Messiah had risen from the dead. The authorities couldn't even prove them wrong by producing a body, and though other such appearances, or through other such appearances, many more people became followers of the way. Like, uh, the, like the book of Luke, we find it ending there and beginning at that same moment in the book of Acts. So like we said, Acts was written by a companion of Paul, who is a physician, and he likely conducted many in-depth interviews with people who had been eyewitnesses to the events of Jesus' life and then of the early church. He wrote his book to send to a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus might have been a wealthy patron who had commissioned Luke to do this and to teach him as a new believer. It might have also been written for more apologetic reasons as a defense of this new movement. Because as the movement grew, so did hostility towards it. Nonetheless, whether it was written for that reason or another completely different one, we know that God put it in scripture for a reason and that it is meant still for the encouragement of the church. In Acts, we see the church go from a smallish group of men and women who follow Jesus on earth to a growing movement of thousands of people empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see the movement go from an outlying sect of Judaism to a movement that largely was comprised of Gentiles. We see, as mentioned earlier, that the most ardent enemy of the gospel and of the church is basically hijacked in his mission to persecute Christians and turned around to be commissioned by Jesus to go to Gentiles and and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. We see this at the end of Acts in Acts 28. Many scholars see Paul going to Rome as the gospel going to the ends of the earth. We also know that though this book is classified as history, it really is focusing on particular events uh, that fit into a certain structure, and that structure is seen in Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8 is sort of a roadmap for the rest of the book. It says, uh, Jesus is saying to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we see the gospel in Acts literally going from Jerusalem and the coming of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. And then persecution comes and it spreads the church out into the wider Judean uh, area and then to the Samaritans in chapter 8. And then the gospel goes further as Paul is converted and sent on missionary trips all over the Roman Empire until he's finally arrested and sent to Rome in Acts chapter 28. The book ends describing his ministry under house arrest. And it says in verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Okay, so we have an idea of what this book is about. 
But how do we as Christians living in the strange year of 2020 apply it to our lives? Well, here, as in many places in the Bible, it's important to draw a distinction between what is descriptive and what is prescriptive. What is actually prescriptive in providing a model for us and what is only descriptive in describing unique events that aren't supposed to be replicated. Because as a narrative, Acts isn't meant to be a list of instructions to the church but rather like other books that are narrative that are in this genre, we have to read it really carefully and then move from there to determine what application is meant by God to be taken by the church at large. Think about your favorite books or movies. Uh, The narrator doesn't usually have to tell you, hey, these are the bad guys, because you know instinctively as soon as the theme plays that Darth Vader is the bad guy. Of course, in good books or movies, you can also watch the supposedly good characters or protagonists make terrible mistakes and still know that they're gonna learn from it and by the end grow because of it. You don't take it upon yourself to emulate their worst mistakes. You can also see amazing events unfold and look at that even throughout history without assuming that that is how all of life should be. So when we read that Paul gets bitten by a viper in Acts 28 and he doesn't die miraculously and that all the people of the island uh, are amazed by this and that it actually opens up a time for him to share the gospel, we don't assume this means we should all go out and wrangle snakes or at least uh, maybe not in churches outside of some places in the South. On a more serious note, much harm has been done in uh, teaching about the gift of tongues from the book of Acts, because we see that people have turned different accounts about it into a one-size-fits-all sort of application. In some traditions, going so far as to say, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not really saved. But the book of Acts has many accounts where people are saved and they don't speak in tongues, like the Ethiopian eunuch and Lydia and the Philippian jailer for a couple examples. So we can conclude that while the Holy Spirit does give the gift of tongues, and while it uh, it often occurs in connection with that moment of salvation, it shouldn't become a structure by which we judge everyone's experience. So you can see there's a real difference between what we take as prescriptive and descriptive. You can also consider the many times that Paul shares the gospel throughout the book of Acts. Uh, Sometimes he argues from scripture and other times, uh, one in particular, he uses an inscription on an altar and quotes from famous philosophers to make his case. We also see him just struggling to convince everyone he's not a god after a miracle occurs and all the townspeople want to worship him. So he changes his presentation based on who he is talking to and the circumstances surrounding him. Yet the core of his message, that God has come to earth as a man and has died the humiliating death of crucifixion, risen from the dead, and is bringing Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, together as a new people of God, 
who serve Jesus, have allegiance to him alone, is not changed. The circumstances might change, but God does not change. The gospel does not change. And maybe that, more than anything, is what we should take as an application from this first part of our series on Acts. 2020 has changed how we live, how we communicate, travel, vacation, uh, educate our kids, work, but God never changes. It's brought out a lot of kindness in people and selfless acts, but it's also brought out horrible, angry comments and lots of hateful acts. Our circumstances have changed in ways that we couldn't have imagined. And it's brought out deep inside us what's really there, whether that is the Spirit of God and the gifts of the Spirit or the works of the flesh. Yet, God does not change. Who is he? He's, is he the same God who founded the church in Acts? Yes, we still see him working in the church today. The same spirit who filled the early church is still filling uh, the believers today. And the same God who worked through the horrible circumstances of persecution and the stoning of Stephen is still working today, even in the midst of a pandemic. And we as the people of God, more than anything, need to remember who he is and as his children, who we are. In this series, I hope that we'll be able to remind you of who you are and that out of that identity, you can live, you can act. So he said that we're gonna go through the Hill City values and how they connect with these stories from the book of Acts. Those values are that we worship Jesus passionately. We proclaim the good news of Jesus unapologetically. We serve humbly for the good of others. We gather to encourage and grow one another into Christ-likeness. We confess that we are radically in need of the grace of God every moment of every day. We pray because it all depends on God, and we train people to live in the way of Jesus. As we end, I just want you to consider those values. You can pause the video if you want and look them over, or go to the website and look at them on the About page. I want you to consider those and this question. How can we, as a community, remember who God is, remember who we are, and live that out, live these values out in the unique time and place that God has put us. God did not make a mistake when he put us in the year 2020. We are here for a reason. Hill City is here for a reason. And although there might be a lot of uncertainty going around, that doesn't negate the fact that he is still working as long as we're walking in step with him. As we end, I wanna read a prayer written by Douglas McKelvey, knowing that uh, God is still working in this week and hopefully reminding you to remember that as you live it out wherever you are, at home, uh, with your family, with other people, working remotely or in the office, doing your errands with a mask on, whatever it is, just remembering that God is still here in the midst of all of that.
Lord, we pray your purposes in our lives would be accomplished. That in the new week to come, we would somehow be changed by the work of your spirit. That you would be active in us, ever sanctifying our desires and Christ shaping our hearts. We give you thanks, O Lord, for the week that was and for the day that is and for the morrow that is yet to come, knowing that as you have been faithful, so are you faithful and so will you be faithful forevermore. Amen.